Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, and tonight, all the way down in Rosebud, Texas, uh, Caleb Jenks is going to be with us, one of our most popular guest hosts. Caleb, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. Good. So I heard Texas has no power. Yeah, power's out of part of the town, and we got some thunderstorms, and but I'm inside and it's dry, and I've got power in my office. So that's good. That's real good. So tonight we are talking about euthanasia. So Caleb, why don't you start off by just you know letting the folks know at home where you went to do all of your research and you know how you prepared for this and and how the folk home are going to be going to be blessed by you doing your typical amount of preparation work for this podcast. Well, uh, is uh, one of our <laughs> most popular. Did you hear that? It just bounced. Just echoed. Oh yeah. I just okay. heard something come back, come back through. For a second. Yeah, that was, yeah. I know that was me messing up. That was my producer dropping the ball. All right. So Caleb, we are talking about euthanasia. Did you want to start off with anything, or do you want me to just go ahead and jump right in? Well, to, uh, to Patrick's point that he started to make there, I texted him like, what was it, probably uh, four hours ago, and I was like, what are we talking about tonight? And he texted me back, and I was like, oh, yeah, of course, I've got this. Obviously, I've done my homework. <laughs> so uh, I actually have not done much, much research on this, but I did, pull, I did look up a few scriptures earlier on okay. it. And, okay, uh, so how about this? Let me, let me, I'll start us out, and then you can just go ahead and yeah. add your two cents. Okay, as far as euthanasia goes, so I wanted to start out by defining this because a lot of times when you start talking about this subject, people get the wrong idea, and you kind of end up arguing past each other, and you're not making a point that is is helpful to anyone. So euthanasia is the painless killing of a patient suffering from an incurable or painful disease. Do you have any problem with that definition to start with, Caleb? No. Complicated way to say suicide, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. So the idea is euthanasia is not suicide because another person is involved. Right. That's why we use different terms. So you have the tools to commit suicide at your leisure. You have firearms. You have a vehicle and a garden hose and some duct tape, right? You know, you can asphyxiate yourself. Now, out there in Texas, you probably don't have anything high or tall to jump off of to your death. But here in Colorado, we have lots of mountains where you can just drive to the top and throw yourself off. And that happens, too. So those are all suicide. But what we're talking about is euthanasia, which is a little different. I think a lot of the same arguments are going to apply to suicide and to euthanasia, although I did find a couple specific ones that I think are pretty neat and pretty applicable to euthanasia. So along with defining it, there are really three areas I kind of want to talk about and further define it a little bit. So as far as euthanasia goes, you have active euthanasia which is going to be the direct administration of a lethal substance to the patient by another party with merciful intent. So that is active euthanasia. And I think that's what everyone is thinking about when we bring up the topic. Is that what you figured? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, it's, now, kind, of, also it's kind of... Oftentimes talking about like it's a mercy, mercy killing or actually the word yeah. euthanasia, isn't it doesn't isn't it a Greek word for basically like good death or something like that? I don't have a clue, but that would have been a great example of prep work you could have done for this podcast. So well, I appreciate you bringing that up. <laughs> I can look it up. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure eutha means like good, um, kind of mm -hmm. like a kind of like a euphemism or it's like it's supposed to be a good death is what it was it was something that was practiced by the by the greeks i'm so not even going to get the word comes from but go ahead everyone at home i imagine in this country has the ability to get on the internet google, and google something wikipedia yes. <laughs> the 
etymology of the word. I don't know if even that's that's I'm using that correctly. Okay, so the other idea is you have passive euthanasia, and this is one I wanted to talk about as well. So that is the withholding or the withdrawing of life-sustaining treatment, either at the request of the patient or due to, um, you know, the family members making a decision when uh, the patient is unable to make one. And then there's a third one, and I do want to talk about this and get into this at least a little bit because I think a lot of people, how about this, Christians that are concerned about this might not understand how this works. The last one is indirect euthanasia. And this one, I believe, is practiced in every one of our 50 states every single day. Indirect euthanasia is the prescription of painkillers that may be fatal while attempting to relieve suffering. So we can get to that one, but I wasn't planning on starting there. But do you want me to further define that and explain what I'm talking about? Yeah, go ahead, because that sounds more that sounds more humane than the biblical example of euthanasia that I was gonna pull up that I was gonna bring up here. So go ahead. Okay, so Caleb, have you ever been at the side of someone's deathbed? Yes. Okay. When hospice gives the recipe for how to how to medicate until they die. Okay, so it was in a hospital setting or where there were doctors or nurses or hospice nurses who could prescribe pain medication. Yeah, it was at home with hospice. And what did hospice do for that patient? Hopped them up on a bunch of painkillers to where they kind of went crazy. And then they said, we're going to change the meds out like the day before she dies. And she's probably Mm going to have a minute where she comes through and she can remember everybody. Mm -hmm. And you're going to, you're going to say, Oh wow, she's mentally better. And then, Mm -hmm. and then she's going to die. It sounded like a perfect, perfect recipe for death. Okay, so and that's exactly what happened. She came yeah. off with some of the pain meds. She was fine, and then they switched the meds out for some other pain meds, and she died. So, what a lot of people, most people, have never been with a dying person. I've been with several dying people. I've been with dying people not only in a hospital setting but in other settings. But when you're dealing with a hospital setting, and they are it is agreed upon that this person is on their way out or we are going to remove certain life sustaining, uh, proceed, not procedures, but, uh, measures so that the person can die. Say we take away the machine that's breathing for them. We take away the machine that is pumping their heart. Then what we are going to do is we are going to make them comfortable and what we do is we give them morphine. So morphine, Caleb, do you know what type of drug that is? Mm-hmm. It's an opioid. And do you know how yeah. opioid uh, overdoses die? You know how those people die? No. So they stop breathing. Now, you're allowed to give opioids in the form of morphine, you know, a a street drug that would be equivalent would be fentanyl. You're allowed to give those to somebody who is on their deathbed in order to relieve the pain, right? And make them comfortable. But really all you got to do is give them too much and guess what bodily function ceases respiration. So they just slowly stop breathing. So, Anyone in the medical industry knows this. Now, I don't think many people are going to want to talk about it or admit that that's what we're doing, but we basically continue to give them morphine until they stop breathing and die, which is why as soon as the comfort medication begins, everyone is dead in less than 24 hours. It's just amazing how that happens. It's like, yep, isn't it great that we were here to give them uh, you know, morphine so that they could be comfortable while they die? Well, what they're doing is they're slowing down their breathing to the point where it slows down and then stops and they die. Now, in emergency medicine, we have a drug called Narcan. And when we come across someone on the streets and not only do EMTs and paramedics know about this, but most 
policemen and most sheriffs know about this because they, a lot of them, also carry Narcan because whenever you come across someone who is an open who is going through an opioid overdose they stop breathing and you give them a shot of narcan and in the case of we're not giving it intravenously i mean no you know police and sheriffs don't do that um, typically you're going to give it to them in the form of a spray a mist in their nose they're going to breathe it in and boom they come back to life they start breathing again because narcan um, counteracts the effects of the opioid overdose so the indirect form of euthanasia, I think I'm going to say people need to know that that is what is going on in hospitals and hospice. Now, here's the thing. Across the board, the definition you read is that uh, opioids given for pain medication to end of life patients incorrect doses do not end someone's life. And that's the idea is like, no, we, we give them, you know, just the right amount and they quietly and painlessly slip off, you know, to die. Um, what I've never found from any hospice nurse I've ever talked about, talked to in my life is that when they move into pain management, the person just happens to live for, you know, months and months and months after that. It doesn't happen. Right. You know, they they die and they die quickly. And it's because uh, of too much uh, painkiller being given to them. You give someone too much morphine, they're going to stop breathing. Any questions on that? And folks at home, you can go ahead and comment if you are watching the Facebook or YouTube video live. Also, I have my phone hooked up to my soundboard. So if you're a friend of mine and you know my phone number, you, you can go ahead and try to call in if you want to chit chat with Caleb and I on this subject. And if you're a doctor or nurse and you want to argue with me and tell me that I'm an idiot and I'm wrong, I would love to hear you tell me that. Because uh, I've never found one yet that disagrees with what I'm saying, but we're not allowed to say that we're giving them too much pain meds and killing people because guess what? Assisted suicide is illegal in most states. So instead, we just give them just the right amount of uh, morphine and they happen to stop breathing and slip away because it was their time. And we are ju we just have amazing timing in the hospice community. <laughs> So I know I'm going to get a lot of flack from people because what it sounds like is I'm saying that, you know, hospice nurses are killing people. And, uh, you know, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is too much morphine kills people. And there's a lot of people that give too much morphine at the end of someone's life. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So that is indirect uh, euthanasia. Anything you want to add to that? Oh, uh, no, no. Uh, that's that's interesting and i actually there was somebody that made a accusation and and stated about a year ago that the uh, doctors had actually euthanized a loved one mm -hmm. in texas and i and of course the emotions were high and i didn't get into i didn't get into sure. specifics with the person but um that was his understanding was that this this is a, this was the process by which the doctors actually ended the life of this loved one and uh, it's interesting that you broke it down so similar to the experience that i had had with this now when i had it it was in, a, in california with a relative out there that passed away and it seemed to be that it was too well scripted to just be that by chance you know they they they, they yeah, they happened to tell us, they happened to tell us and predict exactly what was going to go down over the next week. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and so there was, I was pretty well convinced and most of the family was pretty well convinced that there was, that the medicine had a lot to do with, you know, with the way the, Them expiring. the person went. Yeah. So in that case, the, the difference to me between, a, uh, assisted suicide and, uh, hospice like that is it's one thing when a family when, when a person says i want to die can you help me die sure that's different than somebody going into a hospital to get help and then nobody really knows exactly what's going on they're trying to make the best choices for their loved ones and then lo and behold they end up making the decision that ends you know that ends their life because they're given counsel that this will help ease the pain 
that would be yeah. more similar to murder than assisted suicide to me. Well, I'm not saying and, necessarily for the relatives, but for whoever's whoever's designing this system. And really, the thing is, um, if someone it, and let's just let's just leave that one there for a minute and let's move on so we can get into some other subjects and we can always, you know, get back to that. I just wanted to at least bring it up and explain it to people because, and here's the reason there are going to be Christians that listen to this, that want to think through their decisions for themselves and their loved ones. And they are going to want to make a decision uh, based on what God wants. And for those people, they should have all the information. And that's what we're doing. We're providing all the information. I want everyone to understand that enough morphine is going to stop you from breathing. That's it. Okay. So uh, we, we can we can move on from there. Now, you shouldn't have to worry about that because none of us are allowed to get a hold of morphine. So you're either going to buy it illegally or number two, you're going to have a doctor or a nurse that's going to be administering it. So Okay, let us, let's talk about this. Caleb, do you have an issue with a, and we're going to talk about passive euthanasia now, okay? And and we don't have to call it, pa we don't have to call this one euthanasia. You can call it whatever you want. We're just talking about this subject. Do you have an issue with a DNR? Do you know what a DNR is? Uh, no, I do not. I, I Yes, I do know what a do not resuscitate is, and I don't have an issue with a do not resuscitate. To me, that would be, there's a difference between ending somebody's life and not and not slowing down death. If death is inevitable, then I have no issue with somebody pulling somebody off life support, not resuscitating. Okay, and and that's the idea: is that a DNR is simply somebody that has decided if life-saving measures are required for me to stay alive, I don't want you to do them. And anyone can make this decision on their own, that you can write out the DNR in whatever way you want. I want you to perform, you know, CPR and pump my heart. Actually, CPR is, you know, both breathing and your heart. But I want uh, someone to use a machine to pump my heart, but not to breathe for me. Or I want you can write it up how you want, you know, as far as your um, you get to determine your wishes with medical treatment when you go into a hospital and you can write it down ahead of time and have it on file at your local hospital. So that way, even if you're unconscious, they can perform your wishes or not perform them. But a DNR is we are requesting that certain things are not done. So really, you are dying naturally. They are just not saving you at your request. Do you have an issue with pulling the plug, removing the machine that pumps your heart or your lungs? No, I don't. Um, depend, I suppose it depends on the on the circumstances with it, and obviously that gets into. Uh, but let me ask you, know, you this. Let me ask you this for a family, but absolutely. And keep in mind, anyone going through this, the decisions are difficult. And let me let me make this suggestion, Caleb, for. For you, who is a young, healthy guy with a young, healthy wife, for you, you need to figure out what your wishes are. You need to write them down and you need to um, go over them either. And, and state by state is different, but with an attorney or get them notarized and, and make sure that it's written down. And the reason is, if you do not do that, guess who gets to make the decisions for you? In many cases, it's going to be your wife. The problem is at a time when you are unconscious, she is probably going to be at the most distraught emotional time of her life where her husband is right. laid up in a hospital bed and might not, you know, have the ability to make his own decisions. And then she's going to be left with, well, what should I do? And what did Caleb want done? And I don't know. So don't do that to your wife, fellas. You need to have this stuff written down. It's a good idea for the ladies too, also, but let's face it, fellas, we're going to die first. So get these things decided upon, get them written down so that your wife doesn't have to make that decision. Someone else can do it uh, for her and they will simply be acting on your decisions that you made prior to the emergency. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. 
I don't have a problem with either of those, a DNR or pulling the plug. The idea for me is that the body is dying naturally. We are simply not trying to stop that process. So we're not actively killing anyone. We are allowing the body, which is dying, to go ahead and die. And I don't, I don't see an issue with that. But something else along with this you know, euthanasia discussion, people should know that you have the right to refuse treatment. You always did. You also have the right to stay at home and die and not go to a hospital. You have the right to go to the hospital and then define the limits of the treatment that you get. All of these things are currently your right. So this debate is not about keeping people alive beyond uh, their wishes. Uh, this is something different. What we're talking about with euthanasia more comes down to the idea of assisted suicide. Okay, so Caleb, do you have a problem with assisted suicide? Yes. Okay. Now, so, tell me why. Well, from a biblical perspective, um, which is the only the only problem that I should have with it, because there are some people that it would seem like that is the humane thing. They got a ton of pain. They want to die. Why can't you just let them die, right? But to me, from a biblical perspective, I think we get things a little mixed up if we start thinking that uh, we saw Jesus go around and deal with a lot of people that uh, assisted suicide probably would have been a nice option for them. They had laid around their whole life, couldn't walk, couldn't do anything, and he chose to heal them. And uh, we see over and over again through the Bible that he's the giver of life. And death, obviously, isn't it is inevitable, but um, it seems like it's always wrong to take a life. Well, I, no, I shouldn't say that. There, there's a, there's an exception to take a life in the case of somebody uh, stopping evil, right? If somebody takes a life, then you can you can take the life of a murderer. Um, mm -hmm. But aside from taking the life of an evil person, that seems like it's biblically subscribed. There's no there's nothing in the Bible that seems to indicate that we can or should help somebody else die. To me, that's, I think that, that Job was a good example of someone that, that went through probably as bad or worse of a situation that, than any of us could get into. And I think it's really, it's awesome to read the story of Job because some of the people that I've known of that would have wanted assisted suicide or that have talked about just wanting to end their life, they were in bad shape, way worse than me health-wise, but they weren't in as bad a shape as Job. And this was a test set up between God and Satan to see if, if Job would, would fall for it. And even Job's wife said, just curse God and die. And yet Job said that he was, he was, you know, the God gives life and he can also um, persevere through it. So I think that God's will is for us to persevere even through pain. And there's a lot of biblical examples for why we should. So my problem with, with assisted suicide is that um, you're taking somebody else's problem and making it yours. I would never want to be involved with that. If I was as a, as a believer, if somebody else wanted to kill themselves, uh, we do have an example at the end of first Samuel, uh, the beginning of second Samuel, where uh, Saul's armor bearer, uh, took his life, kind of a mercy killing situation where Saul asked the man to, you know, he, Saul had fallen on his sword. Uh, he asked the man to kill him. And then you see what David did with the man that killed Saul. And I think David was actually uh, justified because this guy had murdered. So according to a biblical standard for David to go and kill the man that had killed Saul, David was biblically justified in doing so. The guy that killed Saul was not but biblically justified in killing Saul, even though Saul asked him to. So I think that's mm -hmm. a good example of assisted suicide was not the right choice there. And I could read that, but I won't. I think most people, if you've read the, your Bibles, you're familiar with that passage yeah. uh, at the end of First Samuel. Beginning yeah, of folks Samuel. Can, yeah, folks can certainly look it up. Let me give you another. So I think that's the most. Yeah, go ahead. OK, I think there's a delay between us on whatever. Um, whatever system you got going on there with audio and video, I oh, think there's great. a lot five or 10 seconds. Yeah. So we'll do, we'll do the best we can. All right. So this is another verse that I think, uh, adds to your point in Proverbs chapter six, verses 16 and 17. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. So in this case, 
the person who is euthanized is that innocent blood. Uh, they are not guilty of a capital crime. Uh, they were not attacking us where we needed to, de to defend our life with uh, lethal force. And we are not at war with them. They are the innocent blood. Uh, and that's what you're saying, Caleb, is that the idea of taking a life has to fit the parameters that God set up for taking a life. And anything outside of that is uh, murder. Is that correct? Yep, absolutely. Okay, so let me give you another case when now that we're talking about assisted suicide and let me go over a little bit of this idea. Are you familiar with Dr. Kevorkian? No. Come on. It's clear that you didn't get on a computer for 10 seconds and Google euthanasia. <laughs> I did not. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, that's fine. So Dr. Kevorkian... A gentleman uh, back, I want to say in the 80s, and forgive me if it was, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was in the 80s. So he provided people with the means to kill themselves. And the first person to take their own life with his aid was a 54-year-old woman who had Alzheimer's. And her understanding was that she was going to die. It was an incurable disease. It still is. And she didn't want to go out the way that she knew she was going to have to. So she decided she wanted to die uh, on her own time with dignity. And uh, so she procured the help of Dr. Kevorkian. And what he did was he made a cocktail that uh, he was able to give her an IV and then it was set up on a little system and all she had to do was push a button and as soon as she did, the drugs would be released into her bloodstream and she would get potassium chloride, which would stop her heart, which is the same drug that we give um, death row inmates for lethal injection, or at least it used to be. I don't know if they have something new, but potassium chloride would uh, would stop their heart. So that ha that was going on. It was a big to do. And and uh, he was a doctor up in Michigan and he went to court several times. And it was it was an international news story, uh, you know, and it was it was pretty good. But uh, assisted suicide in that case is which is what I'm calling it. It's assisted suicide. Uh, that is the same thing as giving per uh, a person who wants to die a loaded gun or a bottle of poison, you know, and in the case of Dr. Kevorkian, um, was a cocktail of poison that would stop your heart. So you're saying that you're not okay with that? Absolutely not. Okay, now let me describe to you what happens to an Alzheimer patient. Do you know how they die? Uh, yes. I've, I've watched a few of them slowly die. Okay, so you know people who have had that disease, and it's very difficult for everybody right. involved because uh, they call it the long goodbye. It's not only that they're going to die, but in the process, their brain ceases to function like it normally did. And along the way, uh, a lot of them lose their memory. They seem to go through uh, a bit of what we would call dementia, which means they end up forgetting who their loved ones are. They won't recognize their spouse. They won't recognize where they are. Um, it's, it's very sad uh, to see because these people will wake up every day and not know where they are and that the doctors and nurses are there to care for them and that their spouse is there to help them and they can be combative. And then sooner or later, their brain continues to lose function to the point where one day their brain will literally stop pumping their heart or, or causing them to breathe. Because you got to remember, our heart pumping and us breathing is a function that happens automatically. It happens while we're sleeping. No one has to think about it, thank God. But with an Alzheimer patient, uh, that's what ends up uh, happening. It, so it's it's a difficult and sad death for those people, 
but it's an extremely difficult death for uh, the family involved. So even in a case like that, you're against it. Yes. Okay. And all right. Obviously, just like with just like with abortion, when you, when you think mm-hmm. about something like this, if you're if you're not careful in a situation like this, and Christians are, are really bad about this, but the, God's word is given to us as something that we either we obey or we don't, but we can't piecemeal it together and take the parts that we like and throw out the parts that we don't. And so if you are uh, going to be consistent with something like this, that the Bible does set out on, there's going to be sometimes where it, I, I agree for some people. I mean, I, I joke about the fact that if I ever get Alzheimer's or dementia, that I'm going to mm-hmm. buy a old used parachute off of eBay and start skydiving, you know, two or three times a week just to see if that thing fails. Sure. Um, and obviously, like I can, and of course, I'm just joking about that, but I obviously can understand and, and have empathy for somebody that wants to end their life. It seems like yes. the best choice in some circumstances, but it Absolutely. still doesn't mean that that I believe that that I could say that it's biblically supported. And your point there is so important. What people don't understand is so people are either going to believe and obey the Bible or they are going to allow anecdotal evidence to steer their life. And by that, I mean, they're going to allow stories unrelated to the facts of the Bible, sway them emotionally to making a decision. And the fact is, Caleb, you and I can both think of several several scenarios where we say, you know what, it would be better for that person who's dying and their family if they could just push a button and be gone. It would save a lot of pain. It would save a lot of emotional pain. It would save a lot of money. But that doesn't change the fact that the Bible has something to say about life. And as soon as you open up the door and make one exception, then all of a sudden you enter onto that slippery slope. And now we say, well, we're only going to believe the Bible when it's convenient. Anytime it's difficult, anytime it's uncomfortable, anytime it's sad, uh, anytime I don't like it. I can just write it off and do what I want. And let's face it, that's why the world is in a mess, because so many people believe the Bible when they agree with it. And other than that, they don't. And when it's difficult, they're not going to do it. And when it affects someone personally in their life, all of a sudden they're going to justify whatever they want so that they can perform an action that the Bible is clearly against. All right, so let's go over some Bible verses and talk about these. So I'm just going to give you three that people can look up later. I'm not going to read them, but we are going to read several verses. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, we find out that death is the enemy. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we find that life is a sacred gift of God. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, God goes to the people of Israel and he says that I set before you this day blessings and cursings, life and death. Choose life. He doesn't want people choosing death. Now, Deuteronomy 32, 39 says, see now that I, even I, am he and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. So God says that he is the giver of life and he is the one that kills. And he is the one that wounds and he is the one that heals. The point is the decision is supposed to be left up to you and I. I'm sorry. The decision is not supposed to be left up to you and I. It's supposed to be left up to God and we have to trust that he has a purpose and he has a plan and his plan is superior to ours, even when it is hard to go through. Any thoughts? Yeah. Well, um, I just looked up a a verse uh, before you, before you brought up that verse. And this is, this is to the point that I was making that that you brought up there about piecemealing and deciding what part we obey and what we don't. Um, 
Matthew 28, the Great Commission here. Uh, Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. He didn't say teach them to observe most things or the things that they like, but we are supposed to teach one another. You know, I can't I can't stand up in the pulpit in church and say, let's let's obey 80% of the things that Jesus teaches. <laughs> we're going to we're going to obey all things. So that was Jesus's words. And the first thing that we understand about mankind uh, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he, him, male and female. I think that it's important to realize that our lives were created by God, and we are created in his image. So when you when you take somebody else's life, this is the same thing, that same reason we have a problem. As Christians, we don't believe in abortion under um under varying circumstances where we can say, well, sometimes it's okay to abort and other times it's not. Well, when you, if you get to that point where you pick and choose when, then obviously it, it, it's either okay all the time. And that's the case. If it's okay, some of the time to assist in suicide or to abort, then it, then it's clearly okay all the time because um, you're taking the life of another person that was made in God's image. And you, you mentioned that verse uh, in, is it in Joshua where it says, um, I said before you blessings and cursings now choose life it's actually a commandment for us to choose life yes it's a choice but we're commanded to choose life yep so no it was in uh, deuteronomy 32 but that's the idea okay okay so now yeah, yeah. let me do this when we're dealing with exodus chapter 20 verse 13 10 commandments thou shalt not kill are we going to say that there are no exceptions to that are we going to say that that verse is invalid because the person wants themselves dead and this kind of gets back into the conversation that we had just i don't know a couple weeks or a couple months ago upon uh suicide the idea that sure i understand i'm not allowed to kill you caleb but can i take my own life if i don't want to live anymore no, I don't. I believe that it's obviously still uh, taking taking a life, whether it's your own, somebody else's killing outside of the parameters that is laid out scripturally is wrong. And and I do think actually the Ten Commandments, uh, that word there, and I'm not going to go into the Hebrew uh, word for it, but if I, from what I understand, is specifically is premeditated killing in the case of you know be murdered, not just a any, any old killing, it would be murder. Now, let me ask you this, because the Bible actually gives a provision for this, which I'm going to bring up. But the question is, what about the person that is an, in an overwhelming and excruciating amount of pain? And that pain is continual, and that pain is horrible. What about that person? Um. I think you can do some things to ease the pain. Obviously, it says that you can drink, um, drink wine yes. in that situation. And, and let me bring up that verse because that is something we need to understand. In Proverbs thirty-one six, it says, "Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts." So when you have someone that is ready to perish, they are in the process of dying, they are, you know, at the end of, oh, let's say several, you know, painful situations where they're at the end of their life. You know, cancer is one where people oftentimes at the end might be going through a, a real lot of pain. And the Bible says, give them strong drink. And the way I read that, Caleb, and tell me if you think I'm taking too much uh, latitude here, but the way I look at it is uh, give them pain meds. Now, keep in mind, I don't right. think they had pain meds like we do today uh, back in the Bible times. But what they did have was they had liquor uh, and it says, give it to them. Don't there's we're not holding it back here. OK, they're on their deathbed. They're in pain. Give it to them. If this helps. Great. So they were giving the people whatever means they had to try to ease their pain and their suffering while they were dying. But what it doesn't say is go ahead and hold a pillow over their face and, you know, put them out of their misery. Right. <laughs> Which is kind of funny when you put it that way, uh, because obviously uh, 
what I don't know, Washington State, whatever states have legalized assisted suicide, they always have mm-hmm. these very complex ways of doing it where they push the button or they, you know, whatever it is, and it looks more humane. But the act isn't much different than saying, yeah, I'm going to put a pillow over your face and put you out of your misery. You know, it's the same thing. You're, helping, some, you're helping kill somebody. Yeah, we, we can do it whatever way you want. Okay, we, Caleb, we could even, you know, wheel your wheelchair into the back of a box truck and fill it full of a noxious gas that kills you. Right. Right. I mean, what? Why couldn't we just do it that way? Sounds familiar somehow. Right. You know, I'm remembering this from history, maybe. Some, hey, other, but that's, some other good moral advocate for euthanasia. Yeah. Well, okay, so now let's talk about that because I wanted to get into a couple of logical arguments against euthanasia as well. And keep in mind, uh, this is the reason that it should not be legal. Now, understand that almost everybody has the option of suicide, and nobody can stop you from that option. Okay, there is there anything that we can do to stop people from, you know, killing themselves? Um, obviously, we some sometimes people are unsuccessful because they're too dumb, <laughs> too dumb to actually kill themselves. I always get, get a kick out to stand up on the bridge because they want to kill themselves, but then it takes them four hours to finally jump, and by the time they do jump. Uh, they've set up a net underneath them and catch them. So obviously you can, if somebody's too chicken, you can definitely stop them. And a lot of people fail at suicide. Yeah. Well, and don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people and, and we're not trying, we're not trying to steer this off into a conversation about suicide, but you and I both know that there are people who are dealing with a great amount of uh, depression and anxiety and a variety of things and uh, suicide sometimes is a way to act out, to get attention brought to yourself so that maybe you can get the help you need, where the goal isn't actually to kill yourself. The goal is to get the help, uh, but be, you know, because of the depression you're going through, uh, you, you don't have it in you to actually go and seek that help. So, so you, you're, you're halfway between, you know, uh, actually wanting to die and, um, you know, uh, the proverbial, uh, cry for help. Uh, there are a lot of other people that they very clearly want to die and they're very successful the first time. And, and so my point is simply in America today, there are very few cases where you could be stopped if you really want to kill yourself. So, and I, I don't understand the idea of the need for euthanasia other than to try to put a nice, clean, happy medical white sheets and red cross, you know, kind of face on it where it's like, Oh, this is approved by, doctors and nurses and judges and therefore you know this is fine there's nothing wrong with it where the idea getting a shotgun and putting it in your mouth and blowing your head off you know there's that's it's not as nice of a idea as having someone you know give you a shot or a pill that will you know cause you to go to sleep so the idea of doctor assisted suicide or what we want to call euthanasia um it has the government stamp of approval on it and i think that's why a lot of people want to go that route rather than you know ODing on medication themselves or starting the car in a garage that's closed and rolling down the windows until you asphyxiate yourself i mean there's how, how many ways are there to successfully commit suicide um the problem is <clears throat> When we push the government to legalize it, what's going to happen then? What do you see as the logical conclusion to government-sanctioned euthanasia? Oh, man. That's just the tip of the iceberg. It it keeps going from there. But we're going to have uh, killing clinics, just like abortion centers, where people can go in and be you know, have assisted suicide. But um, obviously then we're going to have 
groups advocating for uh, involuntary assisted suicide, you could say a mentally handicapped, disabled people, just like the, just like Hitler and every other group has tried in the past. Okay, and let me just give every, because as soon as we go down this road and we make the points that Caleb just made, everyone rolls their eyes and throws up their hands and thinks that we are crazy. And what we need to understand is that uh, Belgium and the Netherlands have already um, had legalized euthanasia for quite some time, and they have already opened it up to people with mental illness. Do you want to know who else um, they allow euthanasia for, Caleb? Elderly, probably. Children. Oh, okay. So the door has already been opened up, and now parents can decide for their children. The first case that I'm aware of happened in Belgium six years ago, back in 2016. So you want to hear what's crazier than that? So me a Canada. This last year, Canada had a bill that was uh, put uh, presented. I don't think it actually passed. You can look it up. But they were proposing that children should be able to have, to seek treatment uh, for assisted suicide. And if they requested that through the schools, that they should be able to pr protect the children's privacy right and not inform the parents wow. <laughs> of the fact that the child was seeking assisted suicide. So your kid goes to school one day and they don't come back home and you find a letter stating that your minor child that um, decided that they wanted to kill themselves is now dead thanks to a medical system that was severely screwed up. So yeah, that would be great. So, and, and okay, so here's another one. Since we are talking about Canada and socialized medicine, let's take this another step further. So if you have a socialized system of medicine, uh, that means the government is going to be running it. So let me ask you this, Caleb. What is going to be the cheap alternative to medical care? Oh, yeah, obviously, euthanasia. Right? Instead right. of trying to help these people. And along with that, you have to remember that uh, euthanasia becomes a prominent alternative to medical care. And that can reduce the motivation or incentive to find a cure for anything. Why do we need to spend billions of dollars to try to find a cure for something when there's an easy solution? You're older than 70 years old. You have a terminal disease. You've gone past your youth uh, usefulness to society. You are going to die anyhow. Uh, you're going to be a drain on the resources of the government. Uh, you know, this is an easy logical course of events. The idea that there are going to be uh, petitions that are going to use it as a way to uh, balance the budget. Right now, I hate to say right. this and you know, you, you can go ahead and call me crazy, but do you remember um, a year, year and a half ago when COVID was really at its height? Um, it might've been even two years in the state of New York, what did they do with COVID-positive patients? Where did they put them? In New York City and throughout the state of New York. Do you remember this? In camps. They put them in old folks' homes. Oh, okay. And you want to know what happened? Yeah, you want to know what happened in those old folks' homes? COVID went it, crazy went crazy yeah. and killed all the old people. And Caleb, if you think that wasn't designed, then I've got a bridge to sell you. Because right. when you go through the timeline and you look at the decisions that was that were made and the effect they had, if you were to draw out a plan to use COVID to kill all the elderly in the state of New York, which, by the way, is bankrupting the state of New York. If you developed a plan to use COVID to kill off all the elderly in the state of New York, I don't think you could come up with a more perfect plan than the one they implemented. 
It was out of control. And, you know, keep in mind, uh, go ahead. Tell me I'm wearing a tinfoil hat right now. That's fine. But if you think, if if you couldn't put it past your government to make decisions to help them financially and help them get elected again, that means completely killing off a whole segment of our society. You, you think that's beyond them? I, folks, the government is not your friend. They could care less what happens to you so long as they get reelected. And when we start going down the road of saying that euthanasia is now legal, well, then what we have to do is we have to classify certain people as less worthy of life. Because as soon as it comes becomes legal, Caleb, we got to have parameters for it. Right. Do we just let everyone die? Can we allow everybody to kill themselves? Is it any age? Is it suffering from any disease or condition? Or are we just going to allow, you know, some people to do it? Well, guess what? Then all of a sudden you have a group of people in the government that has to determine that. How do they determine that? Well, however we do it, it's going to be a big, hot mess. I I can't imagine anyone could be on the other side of that argument saying, oh, no, if we just turn it over to the government and have them, you know, regulate euthanasia, I think that'll, you know, they'll fix the problem and it'll be efficient and it'll be cost effective and it'll be better for everyone. You know, for me, whatever we turn over to the government turns into a dumpster fire. And I think the problem is the slippery slope that we get on very quickly turns into we can use this as a way to eliminate our problems. Any thoughts on the logical argument against euthanasia? I got a few more Bible points I want to make before our hour is up. No, I think you brought up a really good point. And his history obviously has shown us um, there's it's not just going to be used to balance a budget, but there's going to be money, money and effort spent on finding out the most productive ways to use euthanasia, not just for people that are disadvantaged, but also for people for specific groups that we don't like as much that don't fit our uh, our society's ideals. Um, and when I was in Germany, I went to some concentration camps and, and saw some of the medical experiments that they did. And, and euthanasia was, they spent, I would say, probably hundreds of millions of dollars practicing euthanasia there. And obviously, we as a society at that point decided that this was not acceptable. And we fought a war to defeat the, the Nazi anarchy that was going on then but it's moving back in that direction here now i mean there's a lot of people here that are advocating for it it's one thing that the church i think has historically had right by and large uh, the catholic church this is something they had right they did not support euthanasia but i was i was surprised to find that there was a, several reformers that while they were trying to throw out everything else that they were rejecting about the catholic church there were several reformers that toyed with the idea of assisted suicide and euthanasia. And so obviously, if if good Bible thinkers like the reformers could be confused by the issue, I think it would be a lot easier for Christians that aren't very well versed in the Bible that are in a position where they're trying to make tough decisions on the end of their life or the end of a loved one's life, if this was legal, could be very confused by it. Because oftentimes, as a society, we allow um, we allow society, we allow as Christians, we allow societal convention to determine what we think is right and wrong rather than the Bible. So I think it's good to talk about something like this for Christians. If this became legal, I think there's a lot of Christians would be like, Oh yeah, that's great. There's nothing wrong with it. It's even legal. Well, and like you said, we've already seen that with abortion. So mm-hmm. what else is left? If we're saying we're willing to kill babies before they're born, we're willing to kill the elderly uh, because they're a burden or they're sick or they're in pain. We're willing to kill uh, anyone with a, um, 
physical deformity, mental retardation. We're willing to kill uh, even children and infants that we think are going to be a problem, as we pointed out earlier, is already going on, you know, around the world. When are folks going to wake up and see that we're only one step away from implementing eugenics? We're only one step away from implementing the elimination of certain undesirables. And we're just going to leave it right up to the democratic process where all of a sudden it's going to be a, a, a line item on the ballot where, oh, do you want to vote to increase, you know, taxes to support this high school? Do you want to, you know, uh, eliminate all the Italians? Do you want to, how far away are we from it? Folks, there aren't that many steps in the process. I'm just, There's I'm no just so glad you decided to pick on the Italians. I thought you were going to say something else. We're going to end up in hot water, but thankfully you picked on the Italians because that's, there's, nobody's going to fuss about that now. Oh, brother. Usually I'll I'll pick a group that nobody knows anything about or a group that's already been extinct from history for a long time just to listen to some stupid commenter on YouTube try to stick up for him. <laughs> just, just as an ignorance test, you know, I'm like, we got to get rid of those filthy Laplanders. You know, they're the ones that are that are ruining this country. The only way, the only way that I logically could see a reason, a good reason to find to find a way to go ahead and experiment with this is if it would if it would encourage people to bring back the death penalty for criminals but the the fact is is the people that are advocating for this kind of a thing are also the same people that think that we should use the death penalty on you know rapists and child molesters and stuff like that so we just slap them on the wrist and let them go back out and keep doing their thing but we'll expect experiment killing the elderly let's just try that instead well, uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up before we go, I got one more Bible verse and just wanted to make one more, you know, general point. And it's not going to help people that don't read and believe their Bible. For the folks that do read and believe the Bible, they're always going to appreciate one more Bible verse. Ecclesiastes chapter eight, verse eight says, there is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath the power in the day of death. We are not supposed to be involved with that. We're not supposed to have power over that. Throughout the whole Bible, we see three facts presented again and again and again. God is the giver of life. God is the taker of life. And God considers life to be sacred. That is why I am against euthanasia. Because it doesn't fit with who God is. Any last thoughts before we go, Caleb? Well, I think it's another good reminder too, what you just mentioned there, God is the giver of life and the taker of life. It is sacred and it's not just the good lives or the lives that we deem worthy. That's uh, right. Salvation is, salvation is available for everyone. And so as Christians, we should always be like Jesus and choose life. Obviously my last point there was a joke. I don't think we should experiment with suicide in hopes of bringing back the death penalty. But uh, so for those of you that are listening on uh, audio only platform and you couldn't see the smirk on my face when I said that, yeah. uh, that, was, that was a joke. Okay, I gotta, I gotta add to that. So I just had a new friend of mine from down in Texas start listening on my podcast. And uh, I asked him, I was like, oh, okay, great. You know, what do you think? Tell me, you know, give me some feedback. And he said, Patrick, I really like it. You know, I'm enjoying it. It's funny. You know, you guys make good points. Yeah, he was he was being very kind. And mm -hmm. I said, OK, now tell me what I'm doing wrong. You know, give me some constructive criticism, something I can use to make it better. And he said, Patrick, people that don't know you are going to hear your jokes that are dry and they sound like you are unbelievably arrogant and, you know, racist and sexist and these different jokes. If people don't know you, they're going to take it wrong and they're going to be turned off. He's like, maybe you should just give a caveat. And I thought to myself and I even asked him, I was like, am I supposed to give a caveat every time I make a joke or at every episode? Like, I mean, <laughs> people are either going to be smart enough to figure out that we are joke. Okay. If let, let's just say that I was racist or I was sexist or I was any of those things, wouldn't 
anyone be smart enough to try to hide that fact, especially on the internet (laughs) or a nation, a worldwide podcast? Like, wouldn't we try to hide those things? You know, but instead, you know, we make jokes about various things. We, we, you and I were trying so hard not to make jokes the whole time we had that episode on suicide. And, you know, we, and some people are going to get upset about it, you know, and, and not like the podcast. And that's fine. You know, I'm not going to be able to win those people over anyhow. But anyone that's been with us for a little while knows that we like to have fun with whatever topic we're talking about. And we add a little bit of humor because if not, it would be so boring and dry and mundane and no one would want to listen to it. So, so we're just ourselves racism and all so So i have i have one verse that i want to just leave um and my thought my thoughts would go out to anybody that is listening to this that is dealing with unbearable pain and Mm -hmm. um, obviously my lighthearted jokes aren't going to help you out at all (laughs) but hopefully um hopefully you can find strength in god in in romans chapter five It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So I think the same hope that we have of eternal life and salvation through the blood of Jesus, we can also find hope when we when we're persevering through pain and suffering, and and we find that working patience in our life. It says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. So sometimes God is trying to teach us a lesson, and we are growing closer to God through these times of suffering. Nobody else can relate to it. It, You feel alone, you feel overwhelmed, but there is a hope of peace in the afterlife. And we we are promised uh, that there's not gonna be pain and suffering. So I think sometimes each day that we suffer with pain and agony here in this life uh, can, can be a reminder and help us look forward that much more to eternal life where we're not going to have pain and suffering. So I think the, the biblical approach to this problem is is persevere and have faith that, that even if God doesn't choose to relieve your suffering in this life, that you won't have it in uh, eternity. So. No, that's a really good point, Caleb. Um, and, it, and it does it does need to be out there. Uh, our hard times are part of what God uses to not only make us who he wants us to be, but also to um, teach everyone else around us something. And it's easy to say that on a podcast when we're not going through that pain. But I'll tell you what, Caleb, one of my my very good friends um, just was healed uh, miraculously uh, from back pain that he had. And he was going into the hospital two, three times a week in tears. I mean, unable to, to talk, couldn't sleep for more than a few minutes at a time. His life was absolutely upside down. And, uh, you know, a whole bunch of us were praying for him and God took it away. Just boom, instantaneously, you know, and he got to. Uh, see God move in an amazing way. And, and I got to be reminded of what God can do. And even during that time when he was going through it, and keep in mind, I was not going through it. My back felt fine. I slept like a baby. Uh, it, it was a good reminder for me that there are people in the world that I love that I need to take prayer seriously for. Um, he got me uh, fasting again, where I would fast and pray for him because I, you know, I love the man. Uh, he's a brother, and I felt so bad for him. And his pain, as hard as it was for him to go through, uh, really produced some amazing things in the lives of a lot of people, um, you know, in his church and in his community and at at the hospitals and the doctors. I mean, it was really something. And I would never wish that pain on 
on me or you or anyone that I love. But the point is just simply what you just read out of the Bible. Uh, there's more going on that we understand. And sometimes uh, we have to go through some of that uh, for God's plan and God's purpose. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. I think that's a great uh, uh, thing to end on. So folks, thank you yeah. for joining us. Go read. Uh, go say ahead. also go and read Job chapter two as well. Um, if you're, if you're going through this, read Job chapter two and compare your life to the life of Job and the bad advice that he was been, being given to end his life and, and see how God used his endurance and his perseverance through his suffering to bring, to bring about a good ending in his life. So there's, there can be blessings and we, Sometimes it seems like this is the, the season that we're in lasts forever, but God, there could be healing in the, in the future. Uh, there may not be some, God doesn't always heal everyone, but uh, yeah, no, that's, that's awesome to hear about your friend. I'm sure if somebody's suffering through pain and God doesn't choose to hear them, heal them, it doesn't do them any, doesn't do them much good anyway to hear about somebody that didn't get healed if God doesn't choose to heal them, but God is a healer and he does still heal. So pray for healing and persevere. Yeah. Okay, folks, if you are listening to us on a podcast platform, please join us every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Central on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for the Bible Thumper podcast and you can find our channel. Also, if you are watching the video, uh, we would ask that you would at this point uh, scan one of the QR codes that I'm about to put up on the screen and you can find this podcast on Google, Apple, Spotify. You can find it on Audible, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Blueberry, all the different places that you can listen to podcasts. I think we're on every single one. So please like, subscribe, share, uh, and comment on these videos and uh, these uh, audio files on a podcast, you know, um, wherever you listen to a podcast. And if you're somebody that comments on our YouTube channel, uh, please understand that I don't read the comments. I think most of you are just very stupid and uh, I don't care <laughs> about what you think. Um, but go ahead. The comments are good. There's no such thing as bad press. So complain to your heart's desire if it makes you feel better. Uh, go ahead and keep putting those comments up there. Um, that's it. Have a great night, everybody. We'll talk to you next Sunday.